So we're going to have fun this morning. I'm excited about this message. Um, To be honest with you, I have wrestled with this message for weeks. I was wrestling with it last night. When I I found out I was going to speak in December, I knew what I was going to speak on, but then God changed that. And that's usually what happens. God interrupts our plans. And so God interrupted my plan so that his plan could be fulfilled today. And so I am excited about this message. This message is actually um, a shifting that has started in my heart, that God is still shifting in my heart and working with me on. And so before I begin, let's pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I just pray that we will all receive the word that you have planned and prepared for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, a few months ago, actually, it's kind of been going on for several months. I have been dealing with um, feeling stuck, feeling burnout, losing passion, feeling frustrated, thinking things should have moved faster, should be doing this by now, confused, feeling like I'm hitting a wall, not really hearing the voice of God, just feeling stuck. And at the beginning of the fall, I just got to a place of, God, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot keep going on like this anymore. And so I remember there was one night, I told my husband, I said, okay, I got to go outside and I have to take a walk. Well, it's like 8, 8.30, 9 o'clock. And so I put my kids to bed. And if you've come to our house ever, we live on land. So if I'm going outside to walk, I'm going outside to walk among cows and no telling what else is out there. And our driveway is about a quarter of a mile long and it's pitch black except for around the house and the shop. And so when I go for a walk at night, which is typically the only time I have to go for a walk, I'm usually wearing one of those lights on my head, one of those like spotlights on my head and I'm carrying a flashlight with me. And it looks like I'm talking to myself because I'm usually praying and talking to God. So if you drive by on the highway, it looks like there's a crazy person outside talking to herself. But for several weeks, I would go out every night and I would just cry out to God, God, I need something to change. I need something to shift. Where are you? I feel like you're not hearing me. I'm stuck feel like I'm losing my creativity, my passions. I'm feeling burnout. I need you to intervene. And after several nights of that, I finally heard God say, are you willing to give it all up for me? Are you willing to give it all up for me? And I was kind of taken back by that. <laughs> like, What? wait a second, I'm supposed to be gripping to you right now. You're supposed to be listening to me. But you're asking me, am I willing to give it all up for you? And I was. I was at the end of my rope. And I knew that the only way out, the only way out of the hopelessness that I was feeling was God. So in that moment, I laid it all down. I gave it all to him. And I said, you need to take control. I've tried it on my own. I've tried to fix it. And I can't do it. 
And in that moment, what God was calling me to was an incredible life. What God saw is that I was living an ordinary life. But what God was calling me to was an incredible life. And that's what he's calling all of us to, is not just an ordinary life, he's calling us to an incredible life. Because God doesn't want us to be anything but ordinary. He wants us to be incredible. Incredible. He is calling us to incredible living. And when we look at incredible living, incredible living starts off with the very first thing. An incredible life is with Him. An incredible life is with Him. You see, there was a son that was given to us, a son named Jesus. Why did the world need that Savior? In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, it says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David. You see, the world had gone through Adam and Abraham and Moses and Samuel and David and, and many kings and judges who some made good decisions and a lot made terrible decisions. And then God began to speak through prophets like Isaiah, prophets like Micah. And when God gives a prophecy, that's a promise. That's a promise to a hopeless world. That's a promise to the hopeless son or daughter, a promise that we can stand on, a promise that we can stand on when we're at the end of our rope. And so God spoke through Isaiah, and he prophesied a Savior was coming. A Savior was coming to rescue a broken world. Why did we need a Savior? As we know, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, the world was immediately broken. And there was a barrier between us and God. There was a disconnect between us and God. And a price had to be paid. So God had a plan. And it wasn't just an ordinary plan. God had an incredible plan. A plan, an incredible plan that would change the world. A plan that would give us incredible lives. The Savior came to the world in an anything but ordinary way. Like I said, there was a barrier between us and God, and a price had to be paid. So God sent his son, Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to walk through a little bit of the Christmas story. I think it's important for us to walk through the Christmas story to see this incredible plan that God crafted, that God had designed. The Savior came to the world in anything but ordinary way. And as we all know, the, the events of his birth were anything but ordinary. There was the town Bethlehem. In Micah 5.2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you 
on my behalf. So here we have an ordinary town, a small town, one of those towns that not really noticed on a map, but out of it was going to come the ruler of the world. And then there was Mary. We have Mary, a teenager, who really had her whole life probably planned out. She was engaged to Joseph. They were going to get married. And then an angel comes to see Mary, this ordinary girl, a teenager. In Luke chapter 1, verse 28 through 33, it says, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think, What could this angel mean? Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. I can just imagine what it felt like in that moment. I'm sure Mary was completely shocked, had a lot of questions, very nerve-wracking, and honestly confused of why me? Why would he choose me to be a part of this incredible plan? Later on in Luke, Mary refers to herself as a humble servant, a sinner, a slave, an ordinary woman. But she was an ordinary woman that was stepping into an incredible life. And she had a choice. She had a choice. In Luke chapter 1, later on in that chapter, we look at verse 37. It says, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. It was her choice, but she still chose to trust God. She chose to say, I'm going to trust you no matter how impossible this may look. He was asking her, can you trust me despite the questions, despite the inconvenience, despite the impossible? Because a lot of times being obedient to God is in spite the inconvenience, despite how impossible may, things may seem. And it always involves risk. But when we're obedient to him, it propels us to incredible living. And in that moment when Mary chose to be obedient to God and step in to just trusting God with her complete and total life, she was propelled into an incredible plan, incredible living. And then there was Joseph. Joseph was a part of this story. We don't really read a lot about Joseph except for in the Christmas story. But here's another ordinary person. He was a carpenter engaged to Mary. I'm sure he had things all planned out just like Mary did. You know, we're going to get married. I'll support our family by being a carpenter. We'll have a couple of kids. We'll live in a house. We'll grow old together. I've got it all planned out. 
And then he gets this news. Mary's with child. And in those times, in that culture, an engagement was actually legally binding. So the only way to end it is by divorce, death. And so what Joseph decided to do before he went to bed that night is he decided, I'm just going to divorce her quietly. I'm not going to seek revenge. I'm not going to drag her through the mud. I'm just going to divorce her quietly. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 24, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary, I'm sorry, when his mother Mary, yes, sorry, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, just being a man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Then he continues to say, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Joseph had his life all planned out. And then God interrupted that plan and turned his plans upside down so that he could fulfill his plan. An angel speaks to Joseph in a dream, and God gave him an incredible assignment. He, in that moment when he woke up, he laid his plans aside and stepped into God's plan. Mary entrusted her life to the Lord and she became the mother of the Savior of the world. She carried the Savior of the world. And Joseph entrusted his life to the Lord and he played a key role in this incredible plan and he became a guardian of the Savior of the world. This plan that God had all laid out was anything but ordinary. It was incredible incredible. And as we know, they went to Bethlehem, and when they got to Bethlehem, there's no room there. And so they're staying in a stable that was more like a cave back then among animals. I'm sure the smell was not the greatest. I know what cows smell like. It's not the greatest smell. And then the Savior of the world was born. And we see all through the life of Jesus, all through this incredible plan, it's miracle after miracle. Miracle of his birth, miracle of his life here on the earth, miracle of his death and resurrection. God had this plan all laid out, an incredible plan. Was this situation easy? Was this plan easy? Absolutely not. Heck no. Every step in this story was orchestrated by God, though. 
And you see, it had to be difficult. It had to be incredible. Because if it was the easy way, then we could say, oh, well, we did that. That was us. But when it's the hard way, it's God did it. He took the impossible and he made it possible. And God can take those situations in our lives that are impossible and make them possible. Those hard situations, those hard situations that you may be walking through, God allows those things to happen so that they mature us. But what God does is he picks up those broken pieces and he uses those pieces to accomplish his will. So God used every step in this story to accomplish his will. And I wanna ask you today, are you willing to entrust your life and put it in God's hands. Because when you are obedient, in spite of the inconvenience, despite of the how impossible it may look, when you do that, when you say, okay, I give it to you, I give it all to you, that is when your life is propelled from ordinary to incredible. Jesus came in the most humblest of circumstances. And as we all know, when we are weak, He makes us strong. When we are dependent on Him, we have hope. He came to reveal the Father. And our Father is constant. He's perfect. Jesus came for us to have life, and not just any life, life to the fullest. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. He came to rescue a broken world, and He has come to rescue you and I. He's come to rescue us from just that ordinary living. He's come to rescue us from a hopeless life so that we can have an incredible life in Him. In Isaiah chapter 9, when we read that scripture, it lays out He was He is coming, and He will be wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting prince of peace. That's hope right there. Hope in our brokenness. God came to live amongst man through His Son, Jesus, the new hope. And we know in John 3.16, It talks about how he gave his one and only son. Jesus died so that we could connect to God. God wants to be with us. His son, his only son was sent to pay the price for our sin. We can't even put to words or describe the amount of love that God has for us. With my kids, I tell my kids all the time, I love you to infinity and beyond. Well, God's love for us is so vast that it is so much more than infinity and beyond. His love for us is so much more. And the God of the universe chose you and I. And he wants us to say, okay, God, I trust you. I trust you. You've got it. You chose me. 
God's plan was never for us to just have an ordinary life. So I want you to think today, what are your dreams? When you look at your future, what does it look like in your mind? But what if God decides to interrupt them? Maybe today you think you have your plan all figured out. But what if today, in a moment, God wants to interrupt those plans and make you incredible, to propel you towards incredible living? Who better to tell you your greatest purpose than the one who made you? God wants you to give him the desires of your heart, but he wants you to step aside and let him take control, let him take the reins, to stop trying to do it on our own or to get what we want and to allow ourselves to step into what God wants for us. If there's anything you hear today, I want you to hear this scripture, Ephesians Chapter one, verse four. Even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So even before the world was created, he loved and chose us. A loving father who chose us, who chose you, who chose me, who chose the person sitting next to you. He chose us. And when you understand his love for you, his love for us, that is when you grasp hope. God desired for us to have everlasting life, the fullest life, not just an ordinary life. And God is saying today, come to me. My love for you is not exclusive. There's room for you. There's more than enough room for you. One of the verses I love, and it was actually a verse that, was, um, that I really meditated on a lot after my mom passed away. And I had several friends send me verses. I even have something in my house that says it. But in, in Lamentations chapter three, it talks about each day with him provides us exactly what we need. When we're dependent on him, his mercies are new. They're fresh every morning and our hope is in him. He is so good to those who depend on him. So good to those who depend on him. He is with us. He's with us. That's an incredible life knowing that God is with us. God has shown me over and over again in my life how he's been with me. There are moments that I can remember vividly that he has shown me that he is with me. After my mom passed away, a couple of years afterwards, I was going through a leadership program in Dallas and I was driving home one day, just kind of processing all that we had talked about that day and worked through. And I was thinking about the days before my mom passed away when we were in the hospital. And I can remember this moment of being in the hallway of the hospital and just feeling um, very alone in that moment. Um, very confused, um, drained, tired. And I was thinking about that moment. And I remember that God showed me how he was with me in that moment. And what he showed me was I was, as I was standing in that hallway, feeling alone, feeling hopeless, shedding tears, Jesus was right beside me. 
And every tear that was shed, he was shedding those tears. That is God with us. God with us. Even this morning, he's shown me how he's with me today. And he is with you. You are worthy of a life with him. The offer of this life is not exclusive. It is a life that he offers to all of us. And there is always hope despite your present struggles. Whatever you're going through, know that there is always hope. He was anything but ordinary. He is anything but ordinary. He is incredible. And he came to save the world, to break the barrier that held us back from God. And an incredible life is with him. And not only is an incredible life in community with God, but an incredible life is in community with others. You have probably heard us say more than once around here at Pathway is that you cannot do life alone. One of our values is to do life together, to be in community. You can't do life alone. Trust me, I've tried it. It's not pretty. It's not fun. It's so much more fun to do life with others. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, it talks about doing life with others. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other one can reach out and help. But if someone who falls alone is in real trouble, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. An incredible life is in community with God and in community with others. Living an incredible life is not a life in isolation. Isolation is a lie. Isolation tells you you're not worthy for connection. Isolation tells you you're better off alone. You see, the basic human need is love. We all wanted to be loved. But when we experience rejection, hurt, abandonment, we tend to withdraw. We tend to isolate ourselves. And then isolation becomes the problem. It becomes the lie that we're believing. But I want to tell you today that connection is the solution. Isolation is the problem. Connection is the solution. Connection between us and God and connection with others. We were created for connection. In the very beginning, we were created for connection. And I think society has tainted that view of connection. Society right now wants to tell us that, oh, you know, being independent, not asking for help. If you ask for help, you're weak. Society wants you to just focus inward all the time. It's just all about you. Let's just take care of you. Focus on yourself. And while, yes, we do need to have self-care, those things, but what society is telling us is, you know, we're better off alone. Let's just do it all on our own. All on our own. But you know what? Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. Asking for help is actually a sign of strength. 
Because you are willing to say, you are willing to use your voice to take that step and say, I can't do this alone. I am drowning. I am stuck. I don't know if I can get out of bed tomorrow. I don't know if I can go hang out with that person. I don't know if I can face tomorrow. I need help. I need your support. I need someone to hold up my arms and tell me I can do this. I can face another day. I need you. That strength. That strength by being able to recognize I don't want to let my insecurities hurt myself and I don't want to let my insecurities hurt others. I need help. I need support. You know what? Doing life together also gives us it just gives us a higher way of living because when you're in community with God and you're in community with others, you can accomplish so much more. Here at Pathway, we can accomplish so much more together. We can take over the world, as Pastor Marty says. We can take over the world together. You are worthy of connection. Do not let isolation tell you that you are not worthy of community. You are worthy of connection because you were designed for connection. You can accomplish so much more with God and others. When we're doing life together in community, it gives us a place to serve. It gives us a place to vent. How many of you know we all need a place to vent sometimes? (laughs) There are times that we are faced with things at work or with our families or whatever may be going on, and we need a safe place to go to and say, look, I am really struggling with this. Here's what's going on. Can you pray for me? And knowing that you have a prayer covering, knowing that you have a support system, it gives us fuel. It gives us life. It gives us breath to keep moving forward. And I want to encourage you today that maybe you've been trying to do life on your loan. Maybe you have been isolating yourself. I want to encourage you today to take a next step. Maybe that next step is just simply coming to church. Maybe that next step is getting involved in a life group. Maybe it's starting a ministry. Maybe it's just simply talking to your next door neighbor. I want to encourage you to take that next step and do life and community. Another reason why we need to do life in community is because we all have stories to share. God is writing our stories right now. God is writing a new chapter. And God need, and others need to hear your story. They need to hear stories of redemption. They need to hear those stories of reconciliation or restoration. They need to hear those things because it can be the hope that they need in their life. It can be the turning point that they need in their lives. I want to encourage you to find a healthy body, a healthy community to do life with. Health is so important when we're looking for people to do life together. Health is important. Because healthy people are going to encourage you. They're going to support you. And healthy people say it's not, you know, what can I get out of it? That's what toxic people do. Toxic people are those that, okay, what's in this for me? Toxic people are those that usually don't listen. Toxic people are those that are wrapped up in themselves. They're draining. They're not life-giving. 
Find the healthy people that you can do life with, that you can have in community with. That is incredible living. You see, there may be some people in your life that may accept ordinary, but God has destined you to rise above ordinary and be incredible. And you need to find the people that get that. Find the people that get that we were not destined to be just ordinary, mediocre. We were designed to rise above that and have incredible living. Find those people. Those are the people that fuel us because there are people, we might feel drained, we might feel out of gas, we might feel on like we're on empty, but others can give us the fuel to keep moving when we feel like we can't move anymore. You see, the scars of our past can be the turning point in someone else's life. They can release the power in someone else's life. Just like the nail-scarred hands were the turning point in our lives. I shared at the beginning of this message, I shared um, how God has began to shift my focus and he is really working on me in this season that I am in. And one of the things is that night when he asked me, are you willing to give it all up for me? What God did is he changed my posture. And when he changed my posture, he shifted my heart. He shifted my focus. And during that season of just really just crying out to God and just pressing into him, he began to direct me to the life of Jesus when he was here on the earth, the life of when he dwelt among us, the life of when he healed the man with leprosy or broke bread with the tax collectors or spoke to the children. He began to direct me to those things. And I think a lot of times we wonder, well, why was that so important? Well, the reason why it was important is because in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, the word Jesus became flesh. So what God is saying is, I'm sending my son to say, you want to see how this Bible is lived out? Just watch my son and see what he does. Watch how he brings my kingdom to earth by doing my will. Because we're all called to save lives. Jesus came to save lives. We are called to do what he did and point others to the love of the Father. An incredible life. An incredible life. Yes, it is with him. Yes, it is com in community with others. But incredible life is when we love and serve others. An incredible life is when we are serving others to show the extent of his love. In John chapter 13, I know this is a long passage, but I think it is so important to see the heart of the Father, to see his character. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that the hour had come to leave the world and return to his Father. And he had loved his disciples during the ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. 
It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with a towel he had around them. The savior of the world got down in one of the most humblest postures and began to wash the disciples' feet. And when when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well. Lord, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. And after washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. That is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. You see, Jesus was all about giving his life. And Jesus was all about doing things that others most people would not do. He washed the feet, the dirty, well-traveled feet. He gets down on his knees in one of the lowest positions to wash the feet. And it said he loved and served them to the end. A perfect man, born in the humblest situations, lived his life to lead others to the Father. And a king who saved the world bends down to do something that no one else would do. Usually the times when God is calling us to do something, when he births something in our heart, when he ignites a passion inside of us, usually it's those things that are the most inconvenient, risky, costly, or even at times the things that we think are beneath us. But nothing was beneath him and no one was unworthy of his love. He went first. Are we willing to go first? Are we willing to follow his example and show others the love of Christ? He showed them the full extent of his love. Matthew chapter 9, verse 11, it says, But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people do not need a doctor. Sick people do. You see, what Jesus was willing to do is he was willing to hang out with Zacchaeus, a man that most people hated, a man who had cheated others out of money. And he was willing to break bread and hang out with Matthew, a tax collector, 
who invited him to come eat at a table with other sinners. And he was willing to touch a man who had been an outcast, who had been cast out in the world, a man with leprosy. He was willing to touch that man and heal that man. Jesus knew the love of the Father. And everything he did was to point others to the love of Jesus. You see, Jesus knew the lost. He knew the hopeless. And his mission was to save them and point them to the Father. Jesus was willing to sit down and hang out with the people that most of us would avoid. And what I spoke about is when I was talking about God began to do a heart change in me. God began to show me how to look at others through his eyes. I had been so focused on myself so focused on what I wanted to accomplish, what I wanted to do, that I had forgotten about others. And I'll even admit to you today, I was getting frustrated with um, just the the position that I was in. I had gotten burnt out on being in children's ministry, being in women's ministry. I had gotten burnt out. But what had happened is my focus had changed. And in that moment... God changed my posture, and he changed my focus. And it's funny how he can do that through um, those that are closest to you. And he did it through my son. And what I saw is my son is 10, and I only have a short time that he's in my house before I release him to go to college and go out in the world. I have this short window of time this short window of time to teach him about Jesus, to teach him about the Father. But then I started thinking about all the kids that we see each Sunday morning and how I have just a short time with them, 90 minutes on a Sunday morning to show them the love of the Father. Some of these kids I may never see again. They may just be visiting for one time and I may never see them again. But what God showed me is that we have to go first. And the reason why we have to go first is for future generations. I pray that we will never, that it will never get old to watch somebody raise their hand to accept Christ. I pray it will never get old to watch somebody come down to the altar that is broken, that is lost, that is hopeless. I pray it'll never get old watching God, pick up the pieces of their life and restore them. I pray that that will never get old. I pray that our focus will never be turned away from saving lives. I work in children's ministry. And let me tell you, there is value in children's ministry because most people are gonna make the decision to follow Christ before the age of 12. So I've got a short window of time and we never leave a service in Pathway Kids without offering an invitation for these kids to accept Christ because we've got this short window of time. And as parents, we have to go first. Some of the most impactful things in my life were watching my grandparents read the Bible on a weekday afternoon hearing my grandparents talk about the Bible, waking up in the morning and walking into the living room and seeing my mom praying and reading God's Word. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be here today. We have to go first. As parents, we have to go first. Our kids depend on it. Future generations depend on it. 
We have to go first. And there are moments in time right now that it it may sound crazy, but I can be in a grocery store and I'll hear God say, I need you to look that person in the eye and I need you to smile at them. And it may sound silly, but let me tell you, on a Sunday morning when somebody walks through the doors, we have no idea what they are carrying. We have no idea what they may be thinking about doing to themselves. We have no idea. So everything we do here at Pathway is connected to an eternal decision, is connected to eternity. There are people today that are gonna make eternal decisions. There were two people today in the first service that made an eternal decision to follow Christ. That's what we're here for. Everything we are here for today is to save lives, to rescue a broken world. That is what we're called to do. We are called to love and serve others. That is incredible living. That is incredible living. We live in a world today. Let me tell you, I read an article this weekend and it was from the Christian Post and 600,000 Americans responded to this sur- survey. This, was, this article was written in March. It said suicide increase in 18 to 19 year olds. It increased by 56% in the years 2008 to 2017. Hopelessness in 18-year-olds to 25-year-olds increased by 71%. Depression, anxiety in 20-year-olds to 21, it doubled. And 16-year-olds to 17-year-olds, it increased by 69%. That's the society we're living in. That's the world we're living in today. So by showing up and serving on a Sunday morning, you have no idea how saying yes can impact a person's life, how it can impact future generations. Instead of digging in our purse at the grocery store or the supermarket, wherever we may be, looking up at that person and saying, hi, how are you today? Smiling at them, talking to them. You have no idea what that impact can make because you have no idea the situation that they just came out of or where they may be going or what they may be facing. It can change a world. It can change generations to come. I've been reading um, a book called Love Does by Bob Goff. And he talks about being secretly incredible because you know, God is watching what we do when others aren't looking. I think we live in this world of social media where we want to post every great thing we're doing for others on social media. But you know, it's the things that we do in humility, the things that we do in secret. He calls it being secretly incredible. Those things that we can do that speak volumes. We have to be the church. We have to go first. We have to reach our communities, our world, and bring them in to the house of God. Bring them into a safe place where every week they are in community with others. They are hearing about the hope. They are learning how to grow in their lives and they're learning how to teach their children about Jesus Christ. We have a mission. We have to go first. Jesus hardly talked about what he did. His actions showed what he did. 
His actions spoke enough. His actions spoke what He came to do. And I wish growing up would have saved me a lot of years. <laughs> um, I wish growing up, I can remember sitting in church many, many Sundays and feeling like it's just a checklist that I have to constantly go through and feeling like it's never enough. I can never do enough. I can never be enough. I wish so bad as that 16-year-old sitting in those chairs that somebody in that moment would have told me who I am instead of not what I have to do. We have to tell each other. We have to tell our kids. We have to tell our teenagers. We have to tell the, our neighbors, the people that we're in the workplace with. We have to tell them who they are, who God designed them to be, instead of looking at them like they're a project, instead of judging them. We have to tell them who they are, who chose them, who chose them for greatness. And we have to love the ones we don't even understand. I think a lot of times we get wrapped up in our own little circle that we avoid those that we may not have a lot to talk about with, who may seem a little awkward. We have to love the ones we don't understand. God sees those people as his sons and daughters. He sees us as his sons and daughters. We have to be the change. We have to be the church. We have to go first. Are you willing to set aside your plans to accomplish his plans? Are you willing to say, I give it all up, God, because I want to have an incredible life? I want everyone to stand right now.